Matthew 20, beginning at verse 20. This is God's holy and infallible word. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and said, kneeling down, asked a favor of them. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong, excuse me, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant about with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, and these verses are our focus this morning. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is God's word for us this morning. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. In a marriage relationship, it's not unusual for for one person to be more of a saver and the other one to be more of a heartless person who gets rid of everything. As you might guess, I'm more of a saver. Or you might say I'm more on the hoarding continuum. Not really hoarding. I'm not really that bad. But sometimes I do hold on to clothes I don't wear anymore way too long. Sarah has helped me in this over the years. I'm doing better, but we had to have a little discussion about some items again this past week. Sometimes I'll lose track of time in something that I consider my new shirt. Actually, looking back, it's like 15 years old. What Sarah has done when something needs to go is, in in her very kind way, she'll hold it up and say, Now, Greg, is this you? Is this who you want to be today, really? And, and we'll kind of figure out together that that is not who I am. That was the old me from like two decades ago. And the old me doesn't wear shirts with holes in anymore. And the shirt I got for Christmas this past year, that's the new me. That's what I need to be wearing. The Bible talks about an old me and a new me also. Sometimes we want to hold on to that old me, but 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This principle of the old going and the new coming is one way to describe the topics that John Ortberg is covering in this series. We're seeing how Jesus' person and work have ushered in a new era, a new way, a new life. With Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come in our own lives, 
in how we live them day by day, and in the whole sweep of world history as we've been seeing. And, and today, we're going to see that principle of the old going, the new coming, in how Jesus redefined greatness. The old point of view, the old way says that greatness and power, it comes from dominance, it comes from status, it comes from your rank in society. That's what verse 25 tells us. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Rome ruled the Mediterranean region in Jesus' time, including ancient Israel, and it was just like Jesus described there. It was just a straightforward description of how things were. We talk today about the 1%. Well, in Rome, it was more like the 2%. If you picture society, the people in society with the pyramid, the emperor of Rome was at the pinnacle, and then just below him were the top 2%. And that included 600 or so senators who ran things under Caesar. And then there was what was called the equestrian class. And it was called that because originally that class was wealthy enough to own horses for military affairs. And then just below them were the decurions who were wealthy citizens. They occupied government offices, sometimes were priests in the religions of the day. These were considered great people of the day because of their high position. And underneath them were the other 98%, everybody else, with, like we talked about, the women and children and slaves at the very bottom. Clothes in Roman times literally were status symbols to show greatness or lack of it. A male citizen starting at about age 14 could wear a toga, And then there were all sorts of higher-end togas to indicate who you were. A senator would wear a purple stripe on his toga. An equestrian couldn't wear the stripe, but he could wear a more expensive toga and gold rings. Non-slaves who weren't part of the nobility couldn't wear a toga, but they could put on a a freedman's cap to at least show they were free and not slaves. Theater and arena seating reinforced this obsession with rank by giving seats closest to the stage to those higher up the social pyramid. And even in dinners in your home, you sat people based on their status. We saw that a few weeks ago. You remember that when Jesus healed the man with dropsy in the Pharisee's house? That was in Luke 14. A host in those days might actually invite people with inferior positions to dinner just to make his status look higher by comparison. In our text, we're seeing the old way when the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, asked Jesus if her boys can sit at Jesus' left and right when he brings in the kingdom. That's the old way. Power by position. If I can't be number one, Jesus is number one. Well, at least let me be his right-hand man, and I'll achieve greatness too by proximity. You know, we we see people look at greatness this way today too. You think of 
of, of status and rank. You see it in airlines where you have the first class versus coach. First class boards first. They have all these extra perks, all this extra room, better food. It's a higher status than the average person who's got to sit crammed and coach. You see greatness defined by rank and status and power in certain cultures to this day, like North Korea. You see it in the way Putin runs things in Russia. You've seen those pictures of him shooting a bear and, and, and riding without a shirt on a horse. Well, he's always shown as manly and strong. And the message is that with dominance and strength that he has, he's going to bring Russia to power again through dominance. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, says Jesus. And, and we still can see that old way today in different ways. But now, there's something different mixed into societies like ours that have been so influenced by Christianity. In addition to just dominance and status making someone great, we also value something today in our society that would have been a foreign idea to the rulers of the ancient world, and that is Humility and humble service. Maybe you've heard of the famous leadership guru, if you've done any reading in in leadership, uh, uh, Jim Collins. And in his book, Built to Last, he describes leaders of different levels. He's got level five leaders who are the highest leaders of all, you know, CEOs of companies and so forth, the top of the rung. And he says, level five leaders have two characteristics. One, the persistence of a tenacious will. Romans would have exalted though that virtue too. But secondly, Collins says, they have this quality, humility. Top level leaders, humility. And that came from Jesus. That came from Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's new. That's not how things were. In verse 26, after Jesus talks about the old way, he says to his disciples about that old way, he says, not so with you. And he says, whoever wants to become great must be a servant. And it's like Jesus flips that old pyramid upside down so the greatest are at the bottom, humbly serving others. The book of James warns believers not to favor a visitor wearing a gold ring and fine clothes over a shabbily dressed man. Well, the Bible there, that's about Jesus giving the same worth to slaves as to the equestrians, one of the upper class. With Jesus, a new day and a new way have come. And Jesus exemplified the new order with his life as he walked on this earth. When he once washed his disciples' feet, something that only a slave did back then, he says in verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If you remember back a few years to our Daniel series, that title of Jesus, Son of Man, that he uses. It comes from that book. And Son of Man is about the most 
highest exalted title of Jesus ever in the Bible. Daniel 7 describes Jesus, the Son of Man, as the one given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations, all peoples, men of every language worshipped him. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one with all power, the greatest of all. That one, says Jesus, the most powerful one of all, he, Jesus flips it around. He shows his greatness by serving. And as Jesus says in our verses, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life when he went to the cross. That ultimate act of service was salvation for our sins, and that ushered in the new order where greatness comes through service. The old order is still alive in some places. Some people are still living their life that way. And we have to admit that the old way can creep up in our own hearts and lives too sometimes. But today, Jesus invites us to the new way. Jesus invites us to his way, to his order. He says, take, eat, my body given for you. And take, drink, my blood shed for you. Through Christ, we can enter into the new way of things and the old way can be put to death more and more in our lives so that we live truly great lives through humble service like our Savior. And it's our calling to share this invitation of Jesus to come so that people muddling through the old order in this world can step out of the old life and into the new through the body and the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. John Ortberg gives some ideas to help us see a little more concretely what Jesus' way looks like in our lives. There are four things he says in particular about a servant, a humble servant. A servant does not choose as an ultimate value self-fulfillment, but self-giving love. Two, a servant does not seek glory, but gives glory to a glorious God. Three, a servant does not impose her will, but prays for God's will to be done. And four, he says, a servant does not resent serving, but instead embraces it. Always looking for self-fulfillment by making life all about taking, by making sure we're happy and satisfied, that's the old you. Throw it away. The new you is always looking for ways you can help those around you and give of yourself for them. Constantly having to impose your own will on a situation, that's the old you. The new you asks, what is my heavenly Father's will? Having to be recognized and acknowledged in the center of attention, that's the old you. The Holy Spirit is holding that attitude up for us and saying, is that who you want to be today? Is that you? 
The new you is giving God glory, putting others first before you, before your wishes. President Lincoln once got caught up in a situation where he was trying to please a particular politician. And so he issued a command to transfer certain military regiments from one area to the next. And and when the Secretary of War, as Edward Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out. He said that the president was a fool. Lincoln was told what Stanton had said, and how do you think he responded? Well, Lincoln said, if Stanton says I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. And as the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew it. Something tells me this is not how Kim Jong-un would respond. From what we know of him, he'd probably execute the guy that would call him a fool or something far less. But Lincoln showed greatness through humility. The old point of view is that a strong man never backs down, never apologizes. And guys, that is the world's tendency. But the new way is greatness in humbly realizing when you've made a mistake. We swallow our pride. We admit to a spouse, a child, a co-worker when we blow it. That's what great men do. That's living the new order. That's the new you. Maybe you've heard of, of Brother Lawrence. He was a monk who lived in the 17th century. He was converted. This is a little bit of a side note, but he was converted in a pretty cool way. It's amazing when you read throughout history how different people come to Christ. Well, he was converted through a tree in the winter stripped of its leaves. He saw a tree in winter stripped of its leaves, and then he reflected on the fact of how within a short time that tree's leaves would be renewed through the love and the power of our Creator God. He became a Christian. He later became a monk in 1666. In the monastery where he was assigned, Lawrence worked in the kitchen. And he was put in in charge of something very exciting. He was put in charge of utensils. And he really, really hated it at first. But he set himself to walk in God's presence and serve others in these very humbling circumstances. And in time, he came to worship God more in the kitchen than in the cathedral. And he could pray this prayer, Lord of all pots and pans and things. Lord of all pots and pans. I love that. Make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the dishes. His meditations on the Christian life became uh, the practice of the presence of God. And it's a great Christian classic. He chose humility. And Brother Lawrence achieved greatness. I think of all the menial tasks that that sometimes we just really have a tough time with, that we dislike, uh, whether it's in the home, at work, uh, behind the scenes at church. No one else sees that, some of those things, but the Lord. Changing diapers, the time it takes uh, to teach or coach our kids. 
serving homeless people in the middle of the night at pads, writing a letter by yourself in your home to someone behind bars, doing the dishes, faithfully year after year after year caring for a loved one who is struggling, going over to Providence and and giving up of your time and spending time with with some people who are maybe lonely or, or just really struggling with old age, sacrificing some of life's comforts to give of our tithes and our offerings, giving up your time in order to serve as an elder or deacon in the church. Faithfulness in humble service. That's where it's at, according to the Bible. Those aren't just tasks to get through in life with maybe a little grumbling and mumbling. They are actually what life is all about, friends. Look at Jesus. If there's anything about him we see and are told that stands out, it's that he came to serve, to be a servant the chief servant, to give his life. It's what life is all about. Not many of us have very glamorous jobs, and and certainly for all of us, there are very unglamorous things that we're called to do. Even in those things in life, probably especially in those, in humble service day by day, putting others first, putting God's will first, embracing opportunities to serve, that's how we can be great people for the Lord. We will be a great church in as much as we here put others before ourselves, in as much as we don't seek our name and our fame as a people, but we put God first and we just humbly serve one another and our community, each one of us putting those around us before ourselves. As we head into this time of communion, remembering and being assured of how Christ gave himself as a ransom, may the Holy Spirit impress upon us the new way more and more so we can achieve greatness through humility, through lives of of humble service after our Savior, the kind of life that Jesus won for us.